listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be back with you. I can't tell you how excited I am to share with you about a more Christ-like God. Like we have these images of who God is, and those images I think come from a lot of different places, and we'll talk about some of that today. But sometimes the images that we have of God get a little silly. Um, you know, God is this kind of great big uh, kind of old man in the sky. I mean, some of that you might even see beautifully depicted on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, where God just looks like a really old man who's kind of buff, right? And he's reaching out with his finger to touch Adam. Or other depictions of God that, that aren't so gentle, that are kind of rough and, and uh, present God in ways that I think doesn't reflect the God who we see in Jesus Christ, which I think is the one and only God. Like there is only one God, and who that God is, is the God who is revealed in Jesus. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so ideas that we have about God that might be counter to who Jesus revealed himself to be are ideas about God that we need to let go of. And so uh, this, this series that we're in, we're going to spend several weeks looking at a more Christ-like God and letting the image of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, reveal to us who God really is. Like sometimes in theological circles, we like to talk about God as being omnipotent, which is all-powerful, or omniscient, which means all-knowing, or omnipresent, which means everywhere. And then we try to explain Jesus in ways that make sure Jesus fits into those categories. But instead of starting with kind of philosophical categories about what, you know, philosophers say a God should look like, we're going to look at Jesus and let Jesus tell us who God is. Um, I'd like to start with, with a short uh, video uh, from the perspective of children, because I think children can always give us a perspective as to you know, who God is. Let's, let's take a look. and died, so they buried him. Gugad buried them in the secret grave, and um, and like five weeks later, they came to put like garlic and oils, so he doesn't rot and smell. And he was gone. 
be fair. Sometimes we try and pray prayers together or sometimes we try and read things together and we're kind of like these kids. I really like the little one on the end. About two-thirds of the way through she's like, oh come on. <laughs> we just can't seem to get this. We can't seem to get it right. We can't seem to get it together. So 1 John 4 tells us that God is love. He doesn't say God is like love. He doesn't say God is similar to love. He doesn't say that part of what God is like is love. He says that God is love, which means every facet of God, every aspect of God needs to be understood that, that it's loving. So that God's mercy is loving and God's justice is loving and God's grace is loving and God's forgiveness is loving. That God is love. But the problem for us is Sometimes we don't know what we mean by love, right? I can say, I love my wife, I love my dog, I love ice cream, I love the NFL team from Washington, D.C., but let's all hope that I don't mean the same thing by love with, you, with each one of those, right? And so when we say that God is love, and we want to ask, what is love? Well, the personification of love is Jesus. Jesus is love. But the question is, which Jesus? Because we have lots of different depictions of Jesus in the world, too. Uh, when I was in high school, a popular band was Depeche Mode. I'm dating myself there just a bit. Kind of a British electronic-sounding band. And they had this song... My own personal Jesus. Interestingly enough, it was covered later by Johnny Cash, for you Johnny Cash fans, uh, kind of at the end of his life, and it was a very good cover. But, but Jesus is not what I think Jesus is. Jesus is not just my Jesus. But who is Jesus? Now, I grew up with pictures of Jesus. Like, look at this one. How many of you recognize this picture? Yeah, right, we all know that Jesus. That was the Jesus from my vacation Bible school days. It was the Jesus that was on the inside cover of my Bible that had the picture of Jesus in it, so I knew what Jesus looked like. 
He was, he was gentle. He was sweet. He did have longer hair than what my father or grandfather would have approved of, right? My grandfather said if you're, he said to me often, if your hair is too long that you can't comb it with a washcloth, <laughs> it's too long. He was a West Virginia coal miner. He had his own ideas about certain things. Here's another picture of Jesus. This is kind of Jesus, the ethical teacher, the philosopher. And I, I can't tell if that's his own aura or if that's just the sun kind of shining behind his head, kind of peeking out there. This Jesus, of course, would have never been a threat to the Jewish leadership. This Jesus would have never been executed by the Roman government. This is just a gentle, sweet Jesus. That says probably more about who we want Jesus to be than maybe who Jesus actually is. Although we get worse versions of this. Look at this Jesus. Right? That's, I don't know. That's, it's like a combination between the Eastern Orthodox Sacred Heart Jesus and I don't know. I don't know what to call that exactly. This kind of, I'm your friend, I'm your friend and you're all right, Jesus. And then this last one, this is for you Central Floridians. Hopefully that's not too sacrilegious, right? But we kind of mix Jesus in with our culture. And so this is a six-week series of More Christ Like God. So we're not going to be able to cover everything today. But I really want you, both, both those of you who are here and those of you who are online, to kind of commit with me to kind of consistently be part of this series. I know at Oasis that, you know, if you come once or twice a month, you're considered the most regular folks in the world. But in this particular series, I really want us to kind of lean in and, and kind of catch each of these weeks because they're going to talk about different things. So in our call to worship this morning, thank you, Joseph, for, for reading that passage. It was a passage from 1 John. It was chapter 1 and the first two verses of chapter 2. But I want us to look again, or hear again, at those last two verses. This is 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but... If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not our sins only, but the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. This is who we're talking about. We're not talking about some regional God, like the gods of the Egyptians or the gods of the Canaanites. And we're not even just talking about just this, you know, gods of America or, or the Christian God. We're talking about the one and only God, the God who created everything, the God who came in flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. And he is Jesus of Nazareth, the one they call the Christ. And that's who we're talking about. In our passage for today that, that uh, Zach read for us, this is a beautiful kind of poetic description that Paul gives the church at Colossa. And in that kind of poem there about who Christ is, 
it had this particular verse. It's verse 19, Colossians 1:19. And this really sums up not just today's sermon, but really the series. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That is, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's not like part of who God is is revealed in Jesus. Or that some aspect or facet of God, of who who God is, is seen in Jesus. But all, the fullness of God, dwells in Jesus. And so here we find that he is the image of God. He's the firstborn. Everything was created in him and through him. Everything visible and invisible. And what, what God is doing in this one in whom the fullness of God dwells is he is reconciling all things, making peace through the blood of his cross. So that was just introduction. And not just for today, but for the next few weeks. But for the last bit of today, I want to look at where do we get our ideas about God, about who God is or what God is like. And I think we get our ideas about God from at least three different places. We get our ideas about God first from indoctrination. That is, from our families and from our geography. Like, as you all know, I'm an Appalachian American, right? A.K.A. hillbilly. But I, did, I, wasn't, I didn't choose to be born in the mountains. I didn't choose my parents. And they didn't choose their parents. And they didn't choose their parents, right? I didn't choose anything about when I was born or where I was born or to whom I was born. So I was born into a Christian family, into a culture that generally embraced the Christian faith and the Christian God. And so I'm kind of, I kind of inherited it. But sometimes I stop and think, I wonder what I would think or believe had I been born to Jewish parents. Had I been born in Israel or Argentina, I wonder what it would have been like had I been born to Muslim parents, or if I'd been born to Buddhist parents, or if I'd been born to Hindu parents. Like, I haven't changed my faith from birth. And so my ideas of God are at least partially been handed down to me. And that's, that's a big part, at least, of who I am. And I want to give some credence to that and some awareness that it could have been different for me. And what would that have been like? Sometimes when those ideas about God that get kind of handed down, that we're indoctrinated to, suggest that God is the, not just the first cause, to use Aristotelian language, but the only cause, like everything that happens, God is the cause of it. And sometimes even in scripture, we see people who hold that view that God is the cause of all things. And Jesus is having to say, wait a minute, that ain't right. <laughs> in Luke uh, chapter uh, 13, there's a story about um, Jesus is recounting something. He says, Look, remember when those pilgrims were coming up from Galilee and Pilate thought that Amongst them were some zealots, some insurrectionists, and so Pilate sent the military and it killed them all. He's like, you, you ask the question, well, I wonder what they did wrong. 
Jesus is like, they didn't do anything wrong. They were just on their way to the temple to worship God. There's, there's not, God wasn't somehow punishing them for something they did wrong. God wasn't in favor of Pilate having the Romans kill the Jews. God wasn't in it at all. And then in that same passage, apparently there had been some tower at, at Siloam. There had been a tower that fell. And I forget how many people died. I should, I should have remembered. I didn't write it down. But, but like 12, 13, 14, some, some, some small, relatively small number of folks had died in the accident or the building fell. And again, people are like, well, I wonder why God did that. And Jesus said, uh, God didn't do that. That's not who God is. Right? Don't confuse just things that happen necessarily with what God is doing. And I think that's important. And sometimes we've been indoctrinated in ways that say everything that happens is something that God's doing. And that's not the case. Secondly is this idea of experience. Like, however you've experienced authority in your life is sometimes how you will imagine that God is. And I... And I I can only guess that for a lot of you, that means that God can be pretty harsh. So my dad, um, and I, I don't want to remember him in ways that are, are inaccurate. I mean, he could, he could too be kind of harsh and judgmental and a little preachy sometimes. But I'm going to tell you, I just want to quickly share a story with you about how my dad kind of handled some wrongs that I had done. So this is a little, a little transparent here. So it's, but it's okay if you laugh. So when I was a teenager, my dad owned a pizza restaurant and it was in the next town over. And so on occasion, sometimes they would run low on supplies and we had dear friends who had a restaurant in our town that had kind of helped us start, start dad's restaurant. And so I would go by theirs and pick up some supplies and take it over. So one day he calls me, and they're short on salami for the subs. And so I go by CJ's, the other place, and I pick up this stick of salami. It's like three feet long, big stick of salami. And off I go, and I'm drive, driving in Dad's truck, this big, huge red uh, pickup. And it's a diesel, and it has two tanks, except the little switch that's supposed to switch from one tank to the other was not working. So I tried to pull in. And I had a full tank on one side, and I was empty on the other, but I can't access the full tank. <laughs> so, but I didn't realize it at the time. And so I'm trying to pump fuel into the tank that's already full, but it won't go, of course, because it's full. So I've put in like 73 cents or something, and then I'm embarrassed. And so I just, you know, pay the 73 cents and I leave. So now I'm on the interstate. I'm driving, and I'm getting really, really low. So it's time to pull over. So I pull over, I fill up, and I'm back on the interstate. And I'm not more than a mile or so down the road, and the, and the engine just locks up. It's tight. I've put gasoline in my dad's diesel truck. So it's not going to go anywhere. So I get my stick of salami, and off I go hitchhiking down the road, which, of course, is what any 16-year-old should do who's trying to get to his father's restaurant. I get picked up by some poor fellow and his wife and kid who were actually on vacation. So they're not even from the area. And I didn't realize that at the time. And so when we passed the exit that they should have got off on, which I, I guess I assume they would have known, 
Now we're just driving up into West Virginia somewhere. So I have them get off at the next exit, but unfortunately now we're just out in the woods because not every exit off an interstate in West Virginia puts you into a town. So we're driving through the woods and his wife is literally crying in the back seat, thinking I'm about to kill them, I guess. I'm not sure how with my stick of salami. And I'm worried, they're worried, and finally we, we come out of the woods and I'm, we're in the next town down. Now, we should have been in Bluefield, now we're in Princeton. So I'm like, you can let me out here. So there's more to the story. I don't want to belabor it. It gets worse, not better. <laughs> but I call my dad and, and I say, can you come pick me up? And he does. Like, where's the truck? It's in Rocky Gap. What happened? I put gas in it. Oh. Where are the keys? I'd lock the keys in the truck. <laughs> so we had to get a locksmith to get the, to get the keys out. We got to have a tow truck to tow it because you couldn't start it. We had to have somebody empty the engine of the gasoline and then put diesel in it and blow the diesel fuel kind of through the engine. And in all of that, Dad was just like, I'm glad you're safe. I'm sure you learned a lot from this. Yeah, I did, a lot. He goes, I don't guess I need to tell you everything. But I can tell you this, I love you. I'm glad you're not hurt. So that's, that's part of how I experience authority in my life. And I know that's, that's a very blessed position to be in. Not everybody would have experienced that. And that's, at least for me, that's part of then how I relate to God. And, I, and again, you, you might have come from places in your life, whether it's the family of origin or geography or, or whether it's your, your own experience. Uh, maybe you experienced authority and it was harsher. And so you kind of you kind of wince a bit at the idea of God, right? Like Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God. God's out to get you. But I don't think that's the case. And we're, we're going to talk, talk a bit more about that next week. But lastly here is the idea of self-projection. We imagine that God is like the best of us, but just bigger, Right? Like, we love, but God loves more. Or, we're merciful, but God is merciful more. Or, we can do good things for people, but God can do good things for people more. Right? It's this kind of projection. But God is so much more than that. And not just more than that. God is so much other than that. God is not reducible to simply what we've been taught. Right? Or our geography. Or the religion of our family. God's not just some super harsh punisher or super gracious grandfather. God is love. God is revealed fully in the person of Jesus. And our first step and, and we'll, we'll take this step today 
and we'll take this step somewhat again uh, next week as we explore this idea of a more Christ-like God. But one of the things we have to do as, as to embrace who God truly is and to kind of benefit from that revelation is allow some of our previous notions about God to kind of fade, to, to let go of them a bit. Um, I think that's an important part. Walter Wink said this. He said, rejecting a false view of God is an act of worship. Rejecting a false view of God is an act of worship. And I don't think that's where we want to end. I mean, at some point along the way in the medieval church, they actually adopted that uh, approach. They, they got to the point where they didn't feel like they could say anything positively about God because they felt like God was so much more and so other that they felt like they could say what God is not, <laughs> right? It's called the via negativa. God is not this. God is not that. And that's not a bad place to start. And we're going to do some of that next week again. But it's not the place to end. Like our faith sometimes gets mixed with doubt. And that's just a natural thing that happens. But we shouldn't, we shouldn't embrace our doubt like it's some kind of intellectual accomplishment. Or we shouldn't necessarily just kind of, kind of revel in our doubt like now we know. No, now we don't know. <laughs> That's the point. Like, deconstruction is something that might just take place by virtue of your life. It's not something that you actually do. And if it's happening, it's happening. But the goal is not to just live there. The goal is to kind of navigate our way, faithfully seeking God. For know this. God is seeking you. God is pursuing you. God loves you. And let me be really clear. If you have some doubts, or if you're full of doubt, if some of what you thought and then life happened, like you thought God was this or that, and then things didn't turn out the way you thought, and the two aren't, aren't computing anymore, I, I get it, and I, I, I want to be your pastor in that time. But I also want to say, in addition to that, that there is, there is light at the end of the tunnel. There, there is a, a revelation of who God truly is. And it is more than what you could ask or imagine. It's, it's better than what you think, not worse. It's a more Christ-like God. And that, my friends, is where we're headed. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.